Hey. You. There with the face. Yeah? Where is this place? The place is where my face is. And welcome back, everybody, <laughs> to another episode of Hey, Listen to This. I am the one, the only, the non-cinnamon version of Ryan James Kearns. And I am Matthew Jamal Durzik. Can we even use that? I don't know if we can use that. Uh, hey, I mean, we're going to use it no matter what, so let's yeah. just roll with it, dude. Yeah, let's do it. All right, and this week, uh, we are talking about a young person. A very young person, who in this case was actually pretty young. Uh, and his, his, his name is Neil. His name is Neil. And uh, the album we're talking about is Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere. Yes, this is Neil Young's Breakthrough 1969 album. Uh, not his debut album. Okay. This is his second album. His first one was released, I believe, uh, in 1968. Okay. And this was his second effort and his first effort with the backing band Crazy Horse. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Full disclosure, man, like, before today, I've never heard a Neil Young album. Really? I've never heard a Neil Young song, a song, and I've never registered a song that could have been done by Neil Young as like, hey, this is a Neil Young song. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I think we were talking uh, several episodes ago about our roots and, you know, listening to, you know, having our classic rock phase. Yeah. I will admit Neil Young's not a huge part of that. He is a great artist, I, I personally believe. But whenever you talk about the titans of rock or the first names that come to mind, Neil Young isn't one of them. Which is kind of a shame, but at the same time understandable. Because his style isn't necessarily uh, super mainstreamed or um, created for the sake of grabbing the masses. Yeah, and the only album that I knew of before, like, you brought this album into my consciousness that Neil Young did was Harvest Moon. So... Gotcha. I don't know where that ranks in, like, the greater stratosphere of classic rock or even Neil Young's discography. Right. I Honestly, I have not listened to Harvest Moon. Okay. Uh, it's on CD in my house, but I haven't... Take it if I have listened to it, it's been a long time and I don't remember, so I'd have to go back and listen to it. Um, but going into this, I, I, I was mostly notified of um, his earlier work and this being one of them. And this was at a time in which he was about to break out as a member of uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young after he joined Crosby, Stills, and Nash because math. And. Um, after that, he would go on to bigger successes and a much more pronounced status in the rock community. But uh, at this point, he had just been a guy. You know, he was a Canadian guy, member of Buffalo Springfield beforehand, mm -hmm. with uh, Stephen Stills, who would uh, go on to form Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, not to mention um, Jim Messina, who would go on to form the country rock band Poco in the 70s. But Neil decided to go out on his own, and he recruited a band, um, which was made up of previous members of the band The Rockets. Okay. They became Crazy Horse, and they recorded their first album over the matter of, I think, three months, with most of the songs being written, recorded, and put together in a single day. Wow, okay. Uh, that's some excellent backstory, man, because, like, um, like I said, like, my uh, knowledge about Neil Young is very, very fundamental. Like, it's almost like the tables have turned with, like, yeah. the last episode and this episode. Yeah, and, and not just in a matter of um, the knowledge shifting from one person to the other, uh, but also the style of this album. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. And talking about, like, you know, uh, going from apples to oranges here, man. Definitely. Uh, so uh, let's get right into it, and let's start with the uh, first track on the album, which is the album opener, 
since this is the first track on the album. Brought to you by the Department of Redundancy Department. And it is Cinnamon Girl, the only single to be released from this album, or at least the only uh, major single to be released. Okay. And uh, it's it's very much a big start to the record as far as the sound, the mm-hmm. rhythm, and it gives you an idea of what you're in for. Mm-hmm. Neil's guitar, front and center, not necessarily in the vein of other guitarists of the time, uh, like Hendrix, or even somebody like uh, uh, Mike Bloomfield, very rhythm-based, almost like a Keith Richards in a sense. But in this case, um, the guitar is in drop detuning, which is... It, one thing that has to be brought up with this album is this was recorded in 1969. Yeah, that, that was... A, the, his, his guitars uh, was like... Well, his guitar presence in the this first track here, Cinema Girl, was the very first thing I noticed. And... Yes, it's not exactly showing off his chops as a guitarist. That happens later on in the album. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But the, like, I really love the nice crunchy guitar to start out. Mm -hmm. It, it gets the job done. This whole song as a whole, like, it's an excellent thing that you brought up that this was the the first and only single off the album. I I think it was the first single. I don't think it was the only. I think uh, another song down the line was released as a single. But this one actually uh, got some airplay. I think in America it landed at number 55 on the charts, which isn't super successful, but for a guy still just kind of doing his own thing, and and again, not making music necessarily for the masses, Mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now, lyrically, um, there's really not too much to this song, Mm -hmm. and this is going to be a theme throughout other songs on the album, Uh, but really it's just kind of a, uh, I wouldn't even call it a love song, more or less a uh, hey, what's up song. Absolutely, man. (laughs) Yeah. Like... You, you know me. I, I like to deep dive. I like to get into the lyrics. Uh, this was actually kind of a refreshing change of pace where I'm like, oh, I can actually just take a step back and just really get into the instrumentation. So, like, even, like, uh, going further into, like, the song structure and the song mm-hmm. writing of Cinnamon Girl, like, the vocal harmonies on this song and oh, yeah. throughout the whole album were really, really nice, man. Absolutely, and credit to that goes to the uh, other guitarist in Crazy Horse, Danny Witten, um, who would then go on to also be a pianist for the band on their next album. Uh, but his vocals, and I didn't even really think about it until very recently, and by very recently I mean today, that uh, you're absolutely right. The vocals on here supplied... he. For those of you listening to the album, the main low voice in the harmony is Neil Young himself, and Danny Witten is the higher-ranged vocals. Mm. Now, some of those higher-ranged vocals might also be Neil, but uh, again, the, the, the way those two voices blend uh, is fantastic. Mm. And I also want to point out, too, with this song, is that even though it was released as a single, it's not a very conventionally process song because you have the the riff you have a verse but i guess it kind of could be a chorus and then the riff again then the next verse or possibly the chorus then the riff again then a bridge and then the outro and not too many songs are built like that that was one thing i noticed man i was just like wow that's actually kind of like Highly unconventional, and I can really get behind that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very unconventional, and really just a great album starter. Because even though it's not conventional, 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 uh, it still rocks. It still has a groove to it, and the only conventional part of it that could be towards making it a single are the hand claps, which I don't even think that adds too much conventionality to it. It just adds a nice little rhythmic addition to what's already a uh, 
solid album opener. Yeah, absolutely. That was another, another note that I made, that the hand collapse are pretty nice. The interplay between the guitar and bass, like, you can tell, like, a song is really structured well mm-hmm. if the guitar and bass are really playing off each other instead of, like, the bass just being like, I'm just gonna play the root note <laughs> and I'm just gonna collect a yeah. check. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I have no other notes of this song other than it's good. It's yeah. real good. So, moving on to the title track of this album, everybody knows this is nowhere. Yes, and like it, it really continues to feel that nice Americana like feeling from the uh, previous track, Cinnamon Girl. Agreed. And I will say, out of all of the tracks on this album, this is probably the most conventional, okay. at least as far as song structure. Yeah, because it goes. Verse, chorus, post-chorus, verse, chorus, and outro. Mm. Um, but even then, uh, for two and a half minutes long, there's really not a whole lot of room to uh, pull out. And it's a very simple song. I like the lyrics to it a lot. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize until my research into this particular episode that this song was about, about life on the road. Which does make sense. Oh, okay. It does make yeah. sense because um, he talks about running around and uh, thinking that the spotlight and the starlight isn't necessarily all it's cracked up to be. But having listened to this many times beforehand, because I really do like this song a lot too, I just feel it applies to anyone who's just going through the everyday motions and thinking, I just got to get out of here, man. Mm-hmm. It definitely has that, like... Hey, screw screw this town. It's all messed up. Yeah. And I just want to get out of here. Right. And it's all about that escapism. I mean, like, even, like, if you think about, like, the previous track, Cinnamon Girl, like, again, not reading too much into the lyrics because I promised myself that I would not do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there, there's a common theme between, like, you know, Cinnamon Girl where, like, Hey, Neil Young sees this girl that's not necessarily like you know his significant other, right? But he's like, hey, yo, what's up? Right, and escaping into that fantasy, mm-hmm. and now you get into this this song where it takes maybe a little bit of a darker turn, and it's like, hey, like there's nothing around here. Like everybody knows this this place is kind of kind of sucks, man. It's interesting that you say that, and I, and I don't disagree, but it is interesting to say that because the reality is that for as dark of a lyrical tone it goes for, the song itself musically is pretty warm and inviting. Um, You know, you have the la-las in the chorus, um, it's in a major key, which helps, and again, the conventional song structure, you put that all together, and I think it creates for... um, you know, just a really strong. I, I'm I'm honestly surprised this wasn't released as a single. Yeah. It feels very much like a single and very conventional in regard of, uh, you know, putting things together and just you know a nice two and a half minute single that could be played on the radio. But it wasn't released as a single probably because Neil decided, hey, I don't want to. It, it, like uh, dialing back to the um, the background vocals that you were talking about with the lalas during the course. Yeah. This is the first, like, minor ding off the album for me. Like, Oh, really? Yeah, and it's probably just a production issue, because it feels like they're kind of, like, off on their own world, and they don't really add much, and if anything, it's kind of like, I don't know, you're making a stew and you add in the wrong, like, spice, and it's just like, oh, okay, that that's something I gotta, like, you know, counter back, like... Add something else to counteract that. I get what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree, but I do get it. Um, especially when you're presented already with such a heft in sound like we got on Cinnamon Girl. Yeah. And the heft of Neil's guitar and pretty much every track on this album, or at least the rock ones. Yeah. Uh, to hear those sort of thin, la, 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 it is kind of off-putting. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that d- detracts from uh, this song or any uh, songs down the line. Right. And the, those la-las come back later on in the, they uh, do. the album. And they, like, I, I make a note of them, so it's... It's a it's a ding off the album, <laughs> at least for me. I mean, I'm only speaking from my standpoint. I, I get that. I get that. But even like adding on to like other things that I love about like this song particularly, mm-hmm. like the vocal harmonies remain tight on this number as well. 
And, like, I love how the band and Neil are playing off of a motif or a melody and just how everyone plays with it, like, with that driving force it's almost like a syncopate, syncopated rhythm, like yeah. da 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 da. Like you, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about, yeah. And that, that like we were talking about, like um, in the previous song, Cinnamon Girl, how like I really noted the uh, interplay between the guitar and the bass. I'm a sucker for whenever a whole band really just comes together as a unit and plays off an idea. Yeah, and and I agree with that because even for as loose as it sounds, as you were mentioning the Americana aspect of it, yeah. um, the, the playing on this album is just fantastically. It, it's it's tight. It's locked in. Everybody knows what notes they're playing or how the song is going to go along. They know what's happening, and it goes to their um, level of professionalism, or at least their skill level as uh, musicians, that they can pull that off. Yeah, absolutely. All right, moving on to round and round. It won't be long. It won't be long. So this song is a bit of a change up compared to the last two songs. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I feel like the lyrics and the vocals take center stage. Yes, here. they do. I I agree. I, I would especially say the vocals. Yeah. Um, we, we've been talking about the harmonies, and here I think they really uh, carry the song. Um, with Neil and uh, Danny Witten um, providing an almost eerie type of harmony on the chorus of the song. Yeah. Um, which feels a bit more countryish, I would say, right. a little bit more folkish than the last two. The the, the guitars aren't as pronounced. Uh, neither is the rhythm section. So a much more mellow piece here. Uh, but I think that does provide the lyrics, particularly to uh, take center stage here. I'm about to break your heart. What's that? Out of all of the songs here, this is my least favorite on the album. Okay, I, I, I can respect that. Honestly, it might be mine, too. Yeah. Um, and it's not even that it's a bad song. It's, it's it's just that the other songs in and of themselves are that much better. That this one just kind of stands as a... It, 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 it's, it creates a nice contrast between what you just heard and letting everybody know, okay, we don't just do that, we do this. Which I appreciate that. Um, the only thing is that other songs on this album uh, tend to do that a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what, what the thing is I like. I can pinpoint about this song that I don't don't really all that care for. Wow, hold on. Let me try speaking again. <laughs> my brain, I was searching for something there, and my brain was just like, oh, hey, you're going to just start scatting out thoughts there. Yeah. <laughs> so let me, let me start again. I'm not sure if it's just how, again, I might have to revisit this song specifically because you mentioned how the vocals and the harmonies were really, really good mm -hmm. in the song, and I made a note of, like, yeah, I don't know if I can really dig the vocal chops on this song. Or it could be the lackluster lyrics where they really don't draw you in. Or it could be just lack of a change-up throughout the song. Yes, it's a change-up in the album's mm -hmm. direction. Yeah. But it basically does the same... Like, this song does the same thing for... I think like three to five minutes. Uh, it's at least five minutes. I think it pushes six. Yeah. Um, and, and I understand what you're saying, and I don't disagree, um, that it, it does get a little repetitive. And the problem is when you do that, when you repeat the lyrics like that over and over and over again, you have to have something to contrast it with or something that sticks out. And this song really doesn't do that. Yeah. It finds what it wants to say. It says it. It says it again, and then it says it one more time, and then the song is over. And, again, I think the lyrics are really good. I do think it uh, presents a song. And, and granted, they are a little vague, I will say, but I don't think that detracts it. It just makes for a level of interpretation. But it's not presented in a way that really pushes you to feel um, inspired to think. So, I mean, I, I think it's a solid track, but I, I, you know, in hindsight, I would probably agree that 
Um, it's probably the weakest one on the album. And I wouldn't have said that until I visited the back half of this album uh, in research for um, this episode. So, uh, yeah. I, I, I think it's a okay song. Some days it may be a good song, but mm. probably on this album, it's probably down there at the bottom. I think you put it right. You put the nail right on the head for me, man. Like you know, it really, it really doesn't do much to draw you in, and it could just be the fact that when it comes to like this style of music, or even like specifically this artist, Neil Young, like. I'm a brand new person who's listened to Neil Young. Like right. today was the first album. Today was the first bit of music I ever registered as like, hey, this is Neil Young. Yeah. So maybe after, maybe about a year from now, when I become a Neil Young expert at this rate, that like I would appreciate the song maybe a little bit more. I can understand that. I can understand that. Um, now the fourth track on the album. Down by the River, it is the second longest song on the album, and in my personal opinion, it is the centerpiece of the album. Uh, yeah, I would, between that and the last song yeah. on this album, um, Cowgirl Cal- in the Sand, like, Down by the River, is, it's really where this album really starts to the, kick into gear a little bit more so. Yeah. And it really does give uh, Neil Young the opportunity, because as far as the basic structure of the song, it's basic. It's very basic. It's um, uh, intro, chorus, solo, um, verse, chorus, solo, verse, chorus, outro. But to stretch it over nine minutes, and it is very simplistic, and I I love this song because, especially for the era in which it was released, and even nowadays, yeah. in an era where rock music tends to be so, um, it, it tends to fall in either one of two camps. It's either very artistic and derivative of indie rock, like we talked about last episode with Black Country New Road, or it tends to be incredibly mainstreamed, streamlined, and almost not rock at all. Very processed stuff, like Imagine Dragons. And nowhere in between is there a module of simplicity. Yeah. Nowhere is there a module of just, hey, here's guys playing a song with their instruments and just jamming out. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the era of jamming out has kind of gone by the wayside. Yeah. Whereas in 1969, when this song and this album was released, it was kind of a fresh new concept, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some songs before then that did kind of jam out and extend things a little bit, uh, whether it be uh, a number of Hendrix tracks or uh, even Hey Jude by the Beatles, but... It did, there wasn't really any song like this that had come out. The, the only times you would hear long progressions with solos over top, it was jazz. Yeah, yeah. And this is presented in a rock form in a way that's, in a sense, structured like jazz, or at least opens things up like jazz, but keeps the rhythm and the feel the song very basic, very down-to-earth. It just sounds like four dudes jamming in a garage, and I love that. I absolutely agree about everything that you just said about this. And um, even adding to, like, you know, other elements of this song, like, unfortunately, this is where the background vocals, the la-la-las... I I, I had a feeling they would be. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I feel like this is the last time they come back into play with this album. Yeah. But, no, like, I, like, with this song and Cowgirl in the Sand, this is where the album kicks up to a a couple positive notches for me. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, like, how it feels like jazz, but it's more structured and it's more grounded. And I, that's an excellent way to put it, man. Yeah. Um... Like, people think about, like, you know, jam bands and, like, you know, how stuff like this can go off. I feel like this is an excellent way to do it because, like, yes, even modern-day jam bands like King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard and uh, Geese, like, they are great instrumentalists, 
but the way that Neil Young and Crazy Horse like have structured this song and their their instrumentations and the solos, mm-hmm. like it's very focused. It it gets to a point, but it's also very enjoyable that you can really just sink your teeth into and like just go along for the ride. Exactly, and. It, and I think it also goes without saying that Neil's guitar work on this song is very good. Phenomenal. Uh, it is fantastic. And it really does. This The reason I call this the centerpiece of the album is that it goes to the theory that this album produces sonically, which is that less is more. Yeah. They, they strip everything down to the basic uh, four-man pattern of drums, bass, rhythm guitar and lead and they play each other off each other so well and there's not a whole lot of chord changes, there's not a whole lot of flash, but because the structure is so basic, not just from a um song breakdown perspective, but also from a chord perspective because there really aren't a lot of chord changes in this song at all. Um it allows for Neil to basically showcase his masterwork on the guitar, you know, showing you know, the, the very crunchy rhythms, and it, it, it keeps moving along even though it doesn't go anywhere, which is, feels weird to say, but but it, it, it stays in one place, but it has so much fun in that one place. One note I made about that uh, guitar solo and the, the way that they really jam out and just blow up, blow up the song at the very end. Mm-hmm. Like, you talk about, like, how they really keep it... Like, they really show, like, less is more and how you can build upon that. that yeah. Like, this guitar solo, like, it starts out very straightforward. It almost sounds like, you know, somebody's learning how to solo or uh, improv for the first time. Yeah. But it keeps building. And it keeps building. And it keeps building. And then, before you know it, you're like, holy, holy cow, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I am absolutely in love with this song. Take me down by the river, man. Yeah, <laughs> and especially, and it feels like the even though it's very loose and it's just Neil jamming out on the guitar, yeah. it almost feels like when you're listening to it, there are parts. Yeah, there are parts to the solo. Now, granted, I may just be saying that because I've heard this song so many times yeah. and I identify. Okay, that part's coming. That part's coming. That part's coming. Yeah. But even then. Um, it is just presented so wonderfully. Um, and the second solo, whenever the build up continues to the point where, uh, Neil just drops that real thick chord and then just sort of go, you know, really does show flash for the first time where he just go, <laughs> because he didn't do that before, it becomes more pronounced and more savory in that moment, uh, than it had been before. So, I mean, again, it's it's a very loose sounding song, but I have no doubt in my mind that everybody knew what they were going to do, including Neil. Take note, Jam Bands. This is how you actually construct an yeah. awesome guitar solo. And, and then that, that'll be the last thing I say about this song because the you, you talk about the modern jazz or jazz bands, uh, the modern jam bands like um, uh, King Gizzard and uh, Geese. Uh, at the same time, there were bands around this time. Uh, I guess early Zeppelin in a sense, mm-hmm. um, and even the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Who, which I have not gotten to that side of Grateful Dead yet, the long guitar solo side. And people who like listen to that, or people who listen to like Fish, yeah. will tell you like, oh, you know, it's all about the fact that they can solo for so long and you never get bored of it. And I got to be completely honest with you, I've listened to um, the Allman Brothers live at Fillmore East. Uh, Dwayne Allman was a fantastic guitarist. I cannot fathom myself to listen to all 20-some minutes of Whipping Post again. It's just too much. It's just too much. And the fact that this is 10 minutes, it feels like the proper amount of time for a jam song. Now, I can go back to uh, the stuff like The Grateful Dead and The Allman Brothers and find myself to be completely wrong, but as of right now, this is, to me, the quintessential quintessential sound of jam music. Yeah. One last thing I will mention about uh, Down by the River, and then we can uh, move on from uh, the river. Yeah. I really love how the chorus pops off in the song. I do too. Yeah. I, it's probably the strongest chorus throughout this whole album, which 
it's not really saying much compared <laughs> to the rest of the album because you think about it, there's not really that much of a chorus feeling throughout the rest of the uh, album. No, there isn't. And I will uh, briefly defend the La La La's. I, I agree that the production's still a little iffy, but I will say that melodically, it does provide a nice contrast to the darkness that uh, Neil's providing, because these lyrics are darker, mm-hmm. and the song, um, chord-wise and sonically, is darker, and I think the background vocals do sort of build up to the chorus, mm-hmm. more so than they do with... Everybody knows this is nowhere where they kind of just provide a little faint echo in the back. Yeah. Here, I think they serve a bit more of a purpose leading up to the chorus and contrasting uh, what Neil Young is presenting. It could be a production issue. The 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 way that I just don't care about the background lalas. I, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. I just want to call them the back, the uh, background uh, Teletubbies. Oh jeez. <laughs> and we've officially devolved in this episode. The, 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 the band really was ahead of its time, I, I must say. All right, so moving on to uh, the losing end, When You're On. Yeah, and this song kicks off, I believe, the second side of the record mm-hmm. in a sense that is um, similar in a sense or similar in timber to um, Round and Round. But it's a little bit more upbeat, a little bit more countryish, even so. Mm-hmm. And this, I would say, is probably maybe with the exception of the last song on the record, the best use of vocals on the record. I, I absolutely agree, man. Like, there's not really too much else I can say about this specific song, but the vocal harmonies on the chorus are so, so nice, man. Mm-hmm. And, like, like, this might be, out of all the songs, keep in mind, I only listened to this album once, this morning, and I tried to listen as intently as possible, but this might be the most memory-hold album, ex- uh, not album, track on the album, with the exception of the random intro to the guitar solo, where it's like, "All right, Wilson, pick it." Yeah, that that one. Have I, I forgot that that was on the record? And I was just like, "Wait, what? What, what are we doing right now?" <laughs> uh, but again, uh, out of like again, yes, there's not really that much uh, notable things other than the nice guitar guitar solo at the end and the vocal harmonies. I mean, there's not much else I can say about this song, man. There really isn't. I mean, I'll say a couple things, which is that lyrically, it's, again, and, and again, I think we were, we were talking about this with Round and Round. Lyrically, it is a little bit repetitive, yeah. um, but the structure gets you, and I think particularly the chord structure gets, yeah. you know, breaks out because on the chorus, it doesn't necessarily go in the conventional way. Yeah. The, it, it sort of divvies off into um, higher chords and uh, more, uh, I wouldn't say darker, but maybe sadder chords to contrast the feeling that the uh, protagonist is trying to convey. Yeah. So I, I think that does stick out. I think the rhythm section's solid and... I would say this song does what Round and Round does it. It grabs you a little more and presents this forlorn feeling of love or love lost in a way that you can kind of groove to and appreciate without having to be like, where's the guitar solo, you know? And then, like, some guy from the back yells, All right, Wilson, pick it! Yeah. (laughs) You you put it uh, very, very nicely with that. And this might be the reason why the song doesn't really stick with me as much, but I have positive feelings about it. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, very nice job, man. So, you want to move on to uh, Running Dry? Yes, let's do that. So, Running Dry, Requiem for Rockets. Yeah, now, to explain that title, mm-hmm. so I mentioned before that Crazy Horse uh, was created of members from the old band, The Rockets. And, again, in the research I did for this particular episode, I found out that this song in particular 
Neil kind was showcasing his regret yeah. of having broken up the Rockets because I guess he wanted everyone to be part of it, yeah. but they didn't. So crazy horse it became, yeah. and it was just a little frustrating for him. And even I, I think he was talking about it in a documentary uh, some twenty eight years later and said, "Yeah, it was it was a bummer breaking that up and having to go through that business." So. Um, the violinist on this track, and yes, there is a violin on this track, uh, is actually from the Rockets. So this is sort of a, hey, come on guys, you know, one more round type of tribute song, uh, to them. Mm-hmm. Um, in a sense, at least sonically. Lyrically, I'm not so sure if it is, but lyrically it is, I would say, if not for, Everybody knows is nowhere. I would say the top on the album, um, because the presentation of frustration it, it, again it is a little repetitive. Yeah. But the way in which Neil's vocals present this feeling of feeling lost and running out of gas and uh-huh. feeling frustrated right. is presented perfectly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what this song reminded me of? What's that? I know they originally did not do the song, and music gods forgive me for not doing the proper research for this, but (laughs) the song, the cover that Nirvana did for MTV Unplugged, Where Did You Sleep Last Night, just the vocal delivery in that song and this song, kind of, they kind of overlap, I kind of got that vibe from it. Yeah, I could agree with that too. Um, the only difference I would say between the two is that, um, Neil Young in this particular song doesn't take it to that next level like Kurt did. And I'm not saying that as a knock on Neil. Yeah. It's that the difference is with Neil, he would just want to present this brooding sense of being out of gas and being frustrated, but he didn't. Present it as if this was his last note. That like, this is the last thing he was ever going to sing. Oh, yeah, no, that yeah, Kurt. Well, Kurt did that on uh, "Where Did You Sleep Last Night." Yeah, yeah, but like even like just the vocal, like you know, uh, melody and like just the feel of it, like yeah, uh, for the most part, like the core elements of Bones, like they they were very similar in structure. I can agree to that. I can agree to that. that that's a good comparison. Um, and and really, I I don't have. Uh, too much to say other than the violin playing is really good on this. Yeah. Um, the, the vocal harmonies and the instrumentation, they're top notch. I would say probably, uh, let's see, Down by the River, this song, and then the very next song are my top three in this, uh, this album. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and, I can agree to that. And in terms of like the rest of the album, like, Yes, I like I mentioned that round and round is my least favorite song, but it's in my opinion it's not a bad song by any stretch of the imagination. If y'all want to know what my opinion about a bad song is, please revisit our Kanye West episode, <laughs> <laughs> and, and where my brain basically short circuits. However, like just objectively, just looking at the song, like these are the song, these are the uh, tracks that really stand out. Right, and I, and I can agree that it, it, and and that's what makes this album very good is that the worst song is a good song, yeah. and everything else is just better. Yeah, that's that's usually a good sign that you're listening to something great. Yeah. So speaking about something great, yeah, there we go. Uh, we're gonna go into the final track of. Everybody knows that this is nowhere, and we are with the cowgirl in the sand. Cowgirl in the sand. Yet another knockdown, uh, let it all out, very loosely based song featuring a lot of guitar. It's ten minutes long. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, pretty much you can almost copy and paste... Uh, everything for Down by the River that we said to this song, with one major exception. I would say that the vocal harmonies on this track are even better. Absolutely, man. Like, this is, like, easily this is my favorite song off the album. And to tell you, like, 
as I was listening through the song, the this album here, like I had a general rating, and then once the this song kicked in with the vocal harmonies and like even like specifically with that guitar solo that just goes balls to the wall, dude. Mm-hmm. Like I instantly bumped this rating up. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, dude, like. Holy cow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. The, the the guitar solo is phenomenal. It uh, the, the the harmonies on the chorus are phenomenal. Yeah. And one thing I didn't mention about this album, and I don't know if you know this about this album, yeah. because I had forgotten it myself. Neil Young, when he recorded, I think this song, "Down by the River," and I think "Cinnamon Girl," yeah. he wrote and performed these on one day, and he had the flu. What a man. Right? What a man. I mean, to to be fair, to be fair, let's not, like, consider this as, you know, the Michael Jordan flu game of rock albums. Because, (laughs) again, the structure is relatively loose, so it's not like he was trying... It's not like he wrote Bohemian Rhapsody in one day. Like, that would just be impossible, if not insane. But even then, the performance just on a guitar level, like... We've had the flu before. We've been sick. Do you really want to do anything to the best of your ability when you're sick? Oh, no. I just want to, uh, you know, die on that couch. Pretty much. basically just, like, put on episodes of The Office. Exactly. So to go in and say, all right, well, I'm just going to give it my all anyway is impressive. Um, And even if that had not happened, this still would be a great song because, again, great guitar solo. The harmonies are phenomenal. Um... The lyrics, again, don't necessarily need to be deep dove into. Yeah. It's, a, it's a song about a promiscuous woman, and it has that level of vague mysticism that a lot of folk rock had yeah. throughout the 60s and into the early 70s. Yeah. But once again, the rock part of the song just stands out front, and everybody... I mean, it's not even just the... Um, guitar work that's great. Again, the rhythm section just keeps going and going and going. And I did not say that necessarily about Down by the River, mm-hmm. is that while Neil's doing his thing, for everyone to just sort of keep focus and to keep time and to not like slow down or speed up, that takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of, you know, spiritual intensity mm-hmm. to pull that off. So, um, yeah, just a great album closer. Yeah. The, the, the lyrics and the the vocals in this song, like after like the like the band really starts to take off, and how like there's like you know crazy part here, and then you get into like a verse or slash chorus, and then like you know you go into the next section. It's almost like the Neil Young and Crazy Horse use like you know the lyrics and the vocals as like a grounding point before just taking off into like you know a another section of the song. Yeah, I would say, and, and I would say that's more so on this song than on Down by the River. Yeah. Because with Down by the River, even though the solos do stand out more yeah. and are more impressive than the chorus, that the chorus is presented to be the high point of the song. Yeah. Whereas both sides of the song are the high point. Where, and it really does create a nice contrast in the album too, because the, Chorus is relatively country-ish with its harmonies and its uh, talk about cowgirls in the sand. So it has a sort of Western mysticism behind it. Yeah. And you mix that with the hard guitar solo that just, you know, just like you say, goes balls to the wall and does not stop for anybody or anything. Um, yeah, I mean, we could just keep repeating ourselves over and over, but ultimately... Um, a great album closer. The only thing I would disagree with you on is that I don't think it's my favorite song on the album. I'm going to stick to my guns and go with Down by the River. Tomato, tomato, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, overall, what would you rate this album out of 10? (sighs) What would I rate this album out of 10? Um, I would say the only knocks I have on it are that sometimes it does get a little... Um, not just lyrically repetitive, but sonically repetitive, yeah. uh, particularly on round and round. And even towards the end of uh, Running Dry, I would say, um, that it does, it isn't, you're not wowed at certain points, but you still are very much 
in tune with what's going on. You're enjoying what you're listening to. Aside from that, again, like we've said all along, great vocal harmonies, great guitar, great rhythm section. I give this a solid eight. Me too, man. What? <laughs> Like, throughout this whole album, like, I, I had this rated at a 7. Like, up until, like, Cowgirl in the Sand. And Cowgirl in the Sand is the thing that kicked it up a notch. Right. And for me, like, a 7 out of 10, like, hey, there's some cool songs on this album. And for the most part, like, it's really nice. <clears throat> but, like, again, the songwriting uh, chops that Neil Young... Uh, you know, shows, showcases in his solos, the vocal harmonies, and even like the more straightforward tracks like Cinnamon Girl and Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere, like, it really shows what Neil Young can do. And for somebody that did not listen to Neil Young for one second until today, like, this is an excellent introduction to this, uh, this artist. Yeah, uh, I agree. And anyone who wants to get into the world of Neil Young, I would highly suggest this album. Now, I am curious, knowing your background, having not listened to Neil Young before, what your recommended album of choice would be based on what you've heard. <laughs> it, so, I, the only artist that I can think of that really came to my brain that while listening to this this album, it's a artist called Bright Eyes. And oh. like they have like they're mainly known for being like maybe like a folk emo act. However, like there's some good like, you know, Americana country elements in there. And so it be uh the two albums that I thought of, it was either uh it's Wide Awake, I'm Morning, or the album that I'm officially going to recommend, and that album is Lifted, or the story is In the Soil, Keep Your Ear, and the album's by Bright Eyes. Interesting. I would not have thought of that. that that's a, I'll have to check that out at some point. Um, as for me, I'm going to take a page out of your book and do what you did last episode and simply recommend that people listen to the next Neil Young album <laughs> in the discography, which a lot of people say is even better. Um, it's an album called After the Gold Rush. Okay. And um, there are some similarities to it, but not quite the same. Uh, the songs tend to gear a little bit more towards a uh, pop structure in a sense. Not like poppy, but there's not a whole... The, the, the amount of guitar solos drops big time on this album, but the song structures are more defined and they grab you more, I think, than um, stuff like Rounded Round or even Running Dry. Yeah. It has a bit more of a melody to them and a bit more of a softness to them, but um, I would very highly recommend um after the gold rush to anyone who wants to listen to that as far as albums that feature more guitar solos i haven't delved heavy into that side of neil young per se yeah. i know some of his later 70s stuff uh like the song hurricane um might fall into that category or cortez the killer which is a song that i do not believe i've heard before uh but i just know that people are saying oh it's got a great guitar solo um so maybe i'll have to check that out too but officially i'm recommending after the gold rush for anybody who listens to everybody knows this is nowhere and likes it dude i love how what we do with this uh this little show of ours i do i i like it too yeah even if like you know we 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 do put a lot of thought and a lot of care into the episodes but like the main core premise on this was Hey, let's introduce each other to like different uh, areas of like music that are like not within the wheelhouse. And last episode was we went into Black Country New Road, and this episode we went into Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere by Neil Young, and like we both came away from it with a very positive like like aftertaste. Yeah, an, an, an appreciation for something new. Yeah, which is which is kind of what. Not just what we want to do for each other, but also for anyone who's listening out there that uh, may not have listened to any of this before. So, now the next episode. I believe it is your turn. It is back into my wheelhouse. And 
I feel like I want to go into an album and an artist that both of us are not entirely familiar with, but we are aware of. Okay. So the artist is Wilco. Oh. And the album is Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Oh, so I I like your uh, strategy here. <laughs> so that I feel like that'd be a good like you know, and even going from like Neil Young to like you know Wilco, like it would be a it's gonna be a decent transition. Yeah, because we're going uh, back into indie rock a little bit, but early indie rock to the point where even maybe some of the bands like Wilco may not have even known what they were about to do, and we don't know because we haven't listened to them. <laughs> All right. So anything else you want to add about Young Neil before we uh, sign off? Uh, <laughs> why, why, why'd you give him his rap name? <laughs> <laughs> Young Neil. Um, no, I would just say that, uh, yeah, I, I really like this album, um, and... I hope that anybody who listens to it uh, comes away with, at the very least, their own interpretations. But if they like it too, so be it. Sidebar, if your only means of listening to music is through Spotify, you're going to have to search for this album. That's a good point. I, I for, we, we should mention that. This album is not on Spotify because Neil Young, along with his... Uh, Bandmates of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, which were uh, David Crosby, the late David Crosby, uh, Stephen Stills, and Graham Nash, uh, boycotted Spotify a couple years ago uh, to protest the fact that they uh, did not let go of one Joe Rogan. Yeah. However, like if if y'all are still wanting to like you know uh, get into this album, like you can easily find it on like uh, other platforms that are yeah. that that have free music streaming. I know right. like uh, Matt shared with me the MP3s, but like there was one track that got a little funky, and I was able to find the album on YouTube Music. So like when there is a will. There is a way. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting you did because in the research for this episode, I did use the uh, links to the tracks on uh, YouTube to listen back to them, which is a good way to do it because you ninety nine times out of a hundred, YouTube will probably have it in some form. Yeah. So that being said, thank you again for uh, listening to another episode of Hey, Listen to This. If you like what you heard. Please rate this podcast the highest rating that you can give it. As it stands right now, I saw today on Spotify we have three five star ratings. That means that means the world to me. Right, that's awesome. <laughs> and the like other ways that you can support the show is follow, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice. I know like. Uh, a lot of feedback that I've received uh, from people that I've talked to about this show is just like, oh, yeah, like, uh, is it only on Spotify? Is it on other platforms? I'm like, yes, it is on the majority of platforms where pods are cast, except for Google Podcasts for some reason. So, but they are switching over to YouTube Music. Anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> And if you guys have a episode suggestion in the future, feel free to hit us up at tthaylisten at gmail.com. And if you guys want to see if we're on socials, like we are on all the socials with the handle tthaylisten. And that's pretty much it. And for the last time for this episode... I am the Ryan Not-So-Cinnamon James Kearns. And I am Matthew James Derzik. And... Invest in air freshener. <laughs>